You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. I realized after over two years of running this podcast that I never really spoke explicitly about what being happier at work means to me. So today's episode, which is my second solo episode, yay, go me, is all about what happiness at work means. And I think there is a perception out there, maybe not if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you buy into the concept already, but I feel that there is a perception out there that happiness is all about fluffiness and it's not scientific and, you know, that it can't be something that is proven, measurable and can be improved upon. And so in today's episode, first of all, I want to talk about some of the stats associated with happiness at work. I want to talk about my own personal experience of being unhappy at work and why I set up the business to begin with. And I'm going to also talk about the research that I did as part of my dissertation. And I'm sure if you're a long time listener, you have heard me mention that multiple times. Um, The research centers around this idea of values, needs and strengths. So I'm going to expand on that a little bit more. But I'm also going to talk about some of the aspects that weren't covered in the research that I did, but also interwoven in that is how you can apply that How can you apply the learnings from this research as an individual, as well as as a company? So whether, you know, you're a manager, you're a leader, how can you take those? Anyone who knows me, anyone who's been listening for a while knows how practical I like to keep things. I want people to take action as a result of what I say, not just listen and think, oh, that's interesting and it'll never work here, but actually take some specific actions around what they can do differently to be happier at work. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode, which, as I mentioned, is my second solo episode. First of all, I want to talk about some of the stats around happiness at work. And the one that really stands out for me is the cost to a business when someone leaves, especially at those more senior positions. So when someone leaves your organization, it can cost the business 200% of that person salary. That covers things like the time it takes to recruit a replacement, the time it takes for the replacement to get up to speed and to start really delivering back to the business, which can, you know, it can take nine months, it can take a year sometimes. The relationships that that person built, both internally and externally. So, it's really, really important to try and hold on to the staff that you already have. I suppose that's that's the key point coming from that. It costs your business a lot of money when someone leaves. On the flip side of that, then, if you can make sure that your employees are happier or as an employee that you are happier, then you are going to find that it increases productivity. It increases profitability. Some stats that Sean Aker shares in his book, The Happiness Advantage, he shows that when workers are happier, productivity increases by 31% and sales increase by 37%. So I don't think we can really argue with those numbers. 
On the other side of things then, research by Gallup shows that globally only 15% of people are highly engaged in the work that they do. That means that 85% of people globally are either disengaged or highly disengaged at work. Now, to me, that is a shocking, shocking statistic. But anecdotally speaking, I can totally understand why that is the case. And I suppose one of the reasons that I set up my business is to address these issues that we have when it comes to work. As I mentioned at the start, I'm happy to share my own personal story with work and what brought me on the path I'm on now. And I've spoken quite openly on multiple podcasts about my career history to date. And Really what happened to me, I thoroughly enjoyed the career that I had. I was really excelling. I was tapping into my strengths. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm a total research and data nerd. And so anything to do with analyzing data, solving problems using data, especially people problems using data, I just, I absolutely light up. Anything to do with numbers, that is me. I'm totally sold. I love it. And so for a very long time, for 17 years, I worked in the market research industry in fast moving consumer goods. Or if you're if you're outside of Europe, you probably call it the consumer package goods or um, particularly in America, they call it consumer package goods. And so in that industry, so essentially analyzing shopper behavior and consumer behavior and helping large global organizations, as well as smaller local companies. When I worked, I worked in Dublin, I worked in London, I worked in Perth, I worked in Sydney, helping those organizations to make better decisions around their marketing and sales campaigns, things like pricing and promotions. So making recommendations to help them essentially to sell more. And so I found this career extremely fulfilling for multiple reasons. It was tapping into my strengths. And also I found the industry very relatable because it's something that we do on an ongoing basis. I mean, I go to the supermarket at least weekly these days. I sort of reduced it during COVID, but I definitely have increased it slightly now. So I'll go at least weekly. I'm one of those nerds who, because I worked in the industry, I would keep an eye out on what was happening, if there was any new products that I needed to be aware of, and uh, looking at pricing and understanding what's happening in the market. So it was something that I really, really enjoyed for a long, long time. And then I had some experiences at work where there was one experience where I was passed over for promotion. So I was promised a promotion. I was passed over. It wasn't effectively communicated with me. Um, someone else on another podcast actually said to me, actually, what happened there was you were blindsided completely. So yeah, that's true. I was completely blindsided. It wasn't communicated effectively to me at all. I was made promises. Those promises weren't delivered on. The work environment became really toxic. And ultimately, I left that organization in less than a year and a half. So from my perspective, I was my confidence was completely knocked. But also from the organization's perspective, they had invested a lot in me in terms of training, in terms of visa sponsorship, in terms of salary. And here I was having learned so much on the role, taking all of that knowledge and the relationships I had built with me. So at that time, that sort of planted the seed for me 
to think differently about how we work. And so for the so looking at it from the organizations as well as the individual's perspective, I, I started asking questions like what could HR have done differently to manage this situation? What how can you create a better working environment? How like is there any reason that I would have stayed there essentially? And that happened a long time ago now, and it's easy to kind of look back with a completely different perspective, a better understanding of what was happening. But at the time it was quite emotional. I was, I was rather upset by the whole situation. And another work situation I found myself in, and I have spoken about this kind of top line on the podcast previously was again, the same industry, something I, I quite enjoyed. And I found myself again, not really sure whether I belonged there. And as I progressed in my career, I was given the option to do something that I was really good at, but report into someone in the leadership team or to do something that I had less of an interest in, probably less of a strength in, but beyond the leadership team. And of course, the ego takes over then. And I decided the best thing for me, I want to be on the leadership team. I want to be seen as successful. And that's what I decided for my career. In retrospect, that was probably not the best idea for me because it wasn't something I really, really enjoyed. And so subsequent to these things happening, I went on to do my master's in organizational behavior. I had a discussion with one of the lecturers and they advised me that the issues I had had at work were this thing called fit. And I didn't really fit in in the organizations where I worked. And so I became absolutely obsessed with this idea of fit. Speak to anyone who was on that college course with me. It's all I wanted to know about. It's all I really wanted to to talk about as well. But it's something that resonated so strongly with me. And I thought there has to be a way to apply this to individuals and to organizations. So I set about doing the research and I'm going to share the results of that research with you now. And it was just for me, really eye-opening and a really nice framework to look at things. So at a very top line level, what I looked at in terms of this fit research that I was looking at and the kind of the broader term is person environment fit. So it's looking at how a person and an environment interact with each other essentially. And taking a step back from that, they both influence each other. So it's not a case of one person goes in into this rigid environment and it doesn't change. By the fact of that person being there, the environment changes and the person equally is influenced by the people who are already in that environment. What the research specifically centered on was looking at the relationship between this concept of fit, person environment fit, and the outcomes of job satisfaction and engagement and how though how that relationship was explained by this concept of needs satisfaction, so the needs of autonomy, relatedness and competence. So first of all, taking the concept of fit and it breaks down into three different areas. The first area is the area of values congruence. And that is making sure that 
our values align with the values of the organization. And so building on that, for me, it's crucially important for an organization to have clearly defined values, but also to make sure that those values are being lived in the organization, that it's not just something that you talk about. It's not just something you put on the wall or that you have in your email signature, but rather it's something that is the lived experience of the people who work there. And to me, the values are more about the behaviours and the decisions in the organisation or the culture, if you like. So talking about how how you behave at work and it's so important then as an individual to find an organisation where your values align. I'll share an example. So if you don't know how to get what your values are, and we do have an episode all about values at work, a previous episode with Ariel O'Farrell, and I will put a link to the show notes to that previous episode if you want to check that out. But determining your values essentially is how you spend your time. And if you sometimes, it's, and I find this a little bit easier actually, is identify the things that really bother you at work. So it really bothers me when someone commits to something and then doesn't follow through on it. And no matter whether I call that commitment or follow through, that is a behavior that I expect of myself and of others. And if it doesn't happen, then it really bothers me. And so that's one of my core values. So if someone at work tells me you're going to be promoted to be a director and you're doing a really great job and then they don't follow through with an action to make that happen and they don't communicate why that hasn't happened, then that's going to really, really go against my values and really bother me. On the one hand, you can say, uh, and this is how Ariel approaches it in the discussion that we have all about values you can say that's a values conflict or that's a values issue and move on. But for me, it was sufficiently annoying to me, let's say, that I decided to leave that organization because of that, whether you call that a values conflict or a toxic work environment. For me, it was reason enough to leave that organization. And so where values becomes crucial is at the hiring stage. So if you are looking to hire people, it's about getting the right people into your organization. It's not just bums on seats. It's not just hiring people for their skills. It's about finding people who believe the same things that you believe and getting those people into your organization because those are the people who will really thrive. Those are the people who will stay the longest and you will be able to engage them much more fully in the work that you're doing. So that's the kind of the values piece. For anyone listening to the podcast in real time, you will be excited to hear that I have two webinars coming up all about imposter syndrome. The webinar is called Three Steps to Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. And the first webinar is happening on Wednesday, the 27th of October, 2021 at 4.30 p.m. That's Dublin time. And the second webinar is happening at 1 p.m. Dublin time on Wednesday, the 3rd of November. You will find more details about both of these webinars at impostorsyndrome.ie forward slash webinar. And I hope to see you there. 
The next part of fit is this idea of needs satisfaction. So making sure our needs are being satisfied at work. And when our needs are being satisfied, we feel a greater sense of belonging at work. We feel like our values are aligned with the values of the organization. And we we feel like we're doing great things and we feel motivated to work and we feel like we're really thriving. And the, the third element and interestingly, the least important part is this idea of abilities. So I've kind of changed the script slightly to talk about strengths. But if we think about abilities for a second and think about job ads and think about promotion opportunities, people tend to be promoted because they're really good at the core role. And so you promote someone into a managerial position because they're really good, not at being a manager, but at doing the main job of the people that they're going to be managing, which is a really, really flawed way to approach putting people into management. Another way to think of it is job ads. So listing out the skills that are required in order to be successful in the job. Now, there are some exceptions, obviously, if you're going into the medical profession, if you're going to be an engineer, there are some specific qualifications that you need to have to be able to do that. But for the most part, skills are transferable and also learnable. So you can learn how to do stuff on the job. Now, this came through, as I mentioned, as the least important factor in the importance of fit and fitting in at work. So your ability to meet the demands of the role is the least important part in this fit equation. Building on this idea then of abilities and strengths, as I mentioned, I kind of changed the language around that because I would like people to focus more on their strengths and how to utilize their strengths at work rather than looking at like what are the skills that are required in order to do the job. So if you want to know what your strengths are, maybe ask someone else because sometimes, and this is an analogy that has come up a lot recently, a fish swimming in water doesn't know that it's in water. So you can do something that comes so naturally to you that you don't think it's a strength when in fact those around you think, wow, aren't you so brilliant at that? You're, you know, that is one of your core strengths. So you can ask people, Ask other people what they think you're good at that maybe not a lot of people are good at. You can ask them what you're best at of all of the things that you are really good at. So maybe have a think about that. There's also some resources online that you can use to assess what your core strengths really are. And I think it's a it's a really important thing to understand what your strengths are and making sure that you are using those strengths. I put a poll up on LinkedIn there a, few, a number of weeks ago now, and 87% of people felt like they weren't reaching their full potential at work. And to me, that is related to strengths, understanding what your strengths are and working on the core part of the job, which requires strengths that you have. So finding that right thing for you. Coming back then to this idea of needs. Now, if you imagine this fit equation, and we're still at the the kind of left-hand side, if you like, so we're talking about values, we're talking about needs, and we're talking about abilities or strengths. The 
needs part is also forms part of the, the explaining part of the model as well. So we all have three basic psychological needs. We all have them. These are universal needs. These have been tested. These have been proven. We all have the need for autonomy relatedness and competence. And we're going to go into each one of those in a bit of detail now to explain a bit more about what they mean. So the need for autonomy is this sense of choice or control over what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it. And the interesting thing is flexible working and remote working. That's given us a huge sense of autonomy. So thumbs up for the pandemic. That is one positive to come from the pandemic. The second one then, relatedness, is all about how we relate to other people, how we get along with the other people that we work with. I also like to add in a piece about relating what it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis to the bigger picture. So the bigger picture of what your organization is trying to achieve. So making that clear connection between what you do and the impact that you are having on the world. The third one then is this need for competence. So that is feeling capable of doing the job. And if you don't feel capable, then you don't have this, your need for competence is not being satisfied. Beyond the scope of the research that I did, something else that I found with these three needs is that they can be over or under supplied. So if we take the example of autonomy, you can have an undersupply of autonomy. So you're not getting enough of that autonomy need, which can be something like micromanagement. And again, you know, I've had many conversations about this. I think we can all relate to having had a micromanager in the past. So that is your need for autonomy is is undersupplied, you're being micromanaged. But equally, we can have an oversupply of autonomy. That means we have too much autonomy. We are lacking in direction. We don't know specifically what it is that we need to do. Maybe you have a manager who's a bit laissez-faire, lets you figure things out on your own. And also, if you think back to early career, in, in your early career, you need a much higher level of guidance around what it is that you're doing and direction from your manager. Whereas as your career progresses, you need less and less of that. So the needs can change and different people can have different levels of the needs. And so it needs to be treated on an individual basis when you're having these conversations to really understand where people are feeling frustrated at work because when people's needs are not being met, they feel a sense of frustration. The other way to think about this over and under supply as well is this idea of competence. So if you have an undersupply of competence, for example, it can mean that you feel like an imposter, that you have imposter syndrome. You don't feel capable of doing the job that you're doing. You could have an oversupply of competence, which means that you are potentially you're overqualified for the role. You're feeling a little bit bored. You're feeling a bit complacent. 
A way to address this issue then around competence can be to, as I mentioned with autonomy, you can, uh, a way for giving increasing autonomy is flexible working and allowing people to take more responsibility, take more control, but but give that sense of guidance where they need it. With competence then, feedback is really, really important. So delivering effective feedback to people to ensure that they feel like they're capable of doing the job that they're doing and proactively sharing this feedback. I know in my past where I've managed people I've sometimes neglected to proactively share feedback that they're doing a good job. Sometimes we assume that people know that they're doing a really good job because they're doing a really good job, similar to this idea of not knowing what your strengths are. So if someone is doing a really good job, then let them know that they're doing a really good job. If there are areas where they can improve in your mind, then constructively share that feedback with them and let them know how they can improve and specific actions that they need to take in order to improve. So just in summary of that part there, it's not enough just to satisfy those needs. It's ensuring that there is a good balance of those needs, that the needs are not being over or under supplied. In addition to this, and this didn't form part of the research I did, is this idea of the other needs that we have. They're just, it was just beyond the scope of everything that I could do. There's so many things I would love to continue researching and there's probably just not enough time to do it all. But consider other needs. And I know certainly, you know, on this idea of values and needs, if someone had asked me a few years ago, what are your values? What are your needs? I would have absolutely no idea because I didn't really fully understand what the concepts were. And so I suppose one of my joys is bringing this information to organizations to help them to create happier working environments. So some of the other needs that people can have could be something like status. So that could come in the form of a job title. It could be a parking space. It could be a type of car that they can afford. It could be a salary. So status can be one, status and power. Um, Money tends not to be one of our basic needs. I think once you once you reach a certain level of income, money is not a core motivating factor anymore. People have a need for reward and recognition as well. So I know for me, the key thing that I feel like I'm missing from not having a manager from running my own business is this level of recognition. Now, there are external recognitions. There's, you know, feedback from clients. There are external awards that I can apply for and things like that to get that sense of recognition. Things like stability is also a need. Variety can be a need. And for me, it's really important just to open up the conversations with people. As I mentioned, when people's needs are not being satisfied, they feel frustrated at work. And so when they're frustrated, they spend a lot of their energy complaining and feeling unproductive and feeling miserable at work and not doing their best work. And so having these conversations about how their needs can be satisfied at work is crucially important to creating a happier working environment. Again, something that has come up again and again on the podcast is this idea of trust at work and psychological safety. 
Now, this didn't form part of my research, but it did come up in some of the secondary research I did when I was looking at other papers. And to me, it's a really fundamental to get that right at work, to create that safe environment where people can be themselves, where they can express themselves, where they can feel like they belong, that it's safe to to really be themselves. And I would love to include this in some future research that I do in relation to happiness at work, in relation to fit and see exactly where that comes in the sequence. You know, is this fundamental? Is this at the very bottom? I suspect it is. I suspect creating that environment where people feel safe is really, really fundamental. And and I have had this conversation several times on the podcast. Some people say it doesn't have to come from the top. Some people say it does. For me, I really think that it needs to come from the top if you're trying to create that psychologically safe environment. It needs to be role modeled from the very top of that organization. I'm aware that there might have been a lot of information, a lot of new concepts to take on board there in that short space of time. So to recap on some of the key points that I made, really, I don't think we can argue that happiness at work is really, really important. So creating those happier working environments is important. You can look at this both from the individual and from the organizational perspective. So if someone is happier in the job that they do, if they're happier at work, then they're going to be happier in other aspects of their life. We spend so much of our time at work that we definitely take whatever happens at work to other aspects. We take it into our relationships, into our home life. So from an individual perspective, it's really, really important. And I suppose the key message as well is know that if you're not happy at work, there are other options out there. You can find a new job. You can find something else where you're feeling more fulfilled. From the organizational perspective, then it's really increasing in productivity, increasing in engagement, increasing in sales and profitability for the organization. So really, really strong argument for both sides. And as someone else described it to me one time, it's just the right thing to do. You know, it's it's I don't want to say happiness is this holy grail and it's something that we can strive for. There are things that we can do day to day to ensure that we are more positive and we are happier. And one of those things is to be grateful for the situation that we're in, because there's some people who would love to be in the situation that we find ourselves in. Then I went on to talk about the research that I did. And really the focus of the research was this concept of fit and looking at values, needs and strengths. So values being the behavior at work and how decisions get made and the culture of the working environment. For an individual then, their values are the core values to them. And I went on to explain a little bit about how you can ascertain what your values are. If you don't know how to do that, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to guide you through. Then we talked about needs and the importance of needs satisfaction at work, specifically looking at the three needs of autonomy, relatedness and competence. And making sure that not just that the needs are satisfied, but that they're balanced, that you're not getting too much autonomy 
and you're not getting too little autonomy, that you're not having too much competence, but you're not having too little either. And for me, it's really important at the individual level for managers to have those conversations, to be empowered, to have those conversations with their staff, to make sure that they're not feeling frustrated at work. The third element then of fit, and this is the least important area that determines satisfaction and determines that level of fit with a role or with an organization is this idea of abilities or as I have rephrased it into strengths. So it is really important to focus on your strengths and to work to your strengths. But it's the least important factor when it comes to feeling finding a good fit. So matching your abilities with the demands of the role is the least important factor. So what can you do as an individual? As an individual, I think it's really important, first of all, to understand what your core values are. So figure out what your core values are. There are some tools online. There are previous podcasts or one podcast episode in particular with Ariel O'Farrell, where we talk about values and how to ascertain values. Have a listen to that. If you need any support, feel free to reach out to me. The second element then is understanding your needs and how how you might go about that is understanding where you feel frustrated at work. So I know there's talk now of shifting back to the office. Maybe some people love that. Maybe some people hate that. Maybe you have a need for the social interaction at work. How can you bring more of that into the work that you do? Another one of the needs that that touches on is this need for autonomy. So if people are being forced back into the office, that really diminishes their sense of autonomy. So their sense of choice and control over what it is that they do and how they do it. And that can have a detrimental impact on motivation then. So forcing people essentially back to the office. If this is you and you feel like you're your need for autonomy is being affected, then again, going back to this idea that you do have a choice here, you can choose to find something else, you can choose to speak up. The third element then that the individual can do is to really understand what their strengths are and are you working to your strengths in the role that you have and where can you bring more of your strengths into what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. If you don't know what your strengths are, can you take a test online? Can you ask someone to say what your strengths are? Can you determine what of all of the things that you're good at, what are what is the one thing or what are the couple of things that really stand out from the organizational perspective then if you are a leader in an organization it's making sure that the the organization is really clear on what the values are what do you stand for as an organization what do you stand against what do those values look like in action how does that translate into behaviors and how does that translate into decisions how do you make decisions Are they all embedded? Are they reflective of how things are? So what does what you say match with what you do? So that's what you can do in relation to values. Are values, the values you talk about reflective of the experience that people actually have at work? The second element then is this idea of needs and simply understanding the concept of needs satisfaction at work. And we 
as humans have three basic psychological needs that need to be satisfied, we also have additional needs that need to be satisfied at work and how to go about making sure that individuals needs and it will be an individual discussion because different people have different needs. So having the courage to have those conversations, asking people where they feel frustrated, asking people what their needs are, if they need help understanding those needs, using coaching conversations to understand what their needs are. The third element then is this idea of strengths and making sure that people are reaching their full potential at work by working on their strengths. Are there opportunities for people to take on additional projects, to show what they're really good at, to work on something that they're particularly interested in? Is there an opportunity to do that? And if and I know certainly from my own corporate experience, it's not a conversation we ever had as a team. Like what what is each person bringing to the table? What what am I exceptionally good at? What is Sarah exceptionally good at? What is Dave exceptionally good at? So really having that conversation in the open about what people are good at and how people's strengths can complement each other as well. So one person might be a really great big picture thinker, a visionary. Another person might be great at the tasks and setting out like what tasks need to be completed. What is the detail behind making sure this vision turns into a reality? So really understanding the strength within the team. I think it's a really, really important conversation to have. So that's it for the podcast today. I really hope you took a lot from today's episode and I hope it has given you lots of practical tips that you can take and apply to your working life straight away. I would love to know if you have any questions about any of the content that I shared today. If there's anything that wasn't clear, if there's anything that you would like support with, please feel free to reach out to me directly. As always, I love connecting with people on social media. The two places I'm mostly hanging out on, for want of a better word, are Instagram, happieratwork.ie, or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien, and I'll put the links to those in the show notes as well. I would love to know what you're doing differently as a result of listening to the podcast. I'm back next week with another interview episode all about well-being at work. I will speak to you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. You'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.